So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, lords, ladies, gays, straights, she's, hers, they's, dogs, cats, reptiles, fish, amphibians, mammals, and the queen. It is season two, episode two of the world famous So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. How are you, my love? Um, slowly recovering. You're sick as a dog. The GI bug is rifling through this household. Not me. Started with Frankie last week. Yep. And then I came down with it, I guess, Saturday overnight it really started, and Sunday it accelerated. (laughs) Like most things in this house, it escalates quickly. It did. Last night, maybe the sickest I've ever felt my whole life. That's because you're a pussy and you've never done drugs. Therefore, you've never had to detox from drugs. So funny enough that you say that. When I woke up on Sunday morning, I had to go into work at noon. And I woke up around 7, which is a relatively late sleep for me. And I had had a little nausea overnight. But Chris and I went to see Pretty Woman, the stage show. And we got home at like 1130 and we hadn't eaten. So we were like rifling life leftovers down our gullet. So I I wasn't, you know, concerned that I had a little nausea overnight because, you know, I normally don't eat that late. And I I just figured that upset my stomach. That's also what happens when you throw six pounds of chicken nuggets in the air fryer at midnight. Seriously. Like you get what you get. So I woke up Sunday morning. I took the dog out. I got Frankie up. Oh, here we go. And I was like, I am exhausted. I actually laid on the couch. I fell asleep a little bit. And I was like, I have a headache. My stomach's upset. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm getting a migraine. I couldn't place it. But I had this awful, awful feeling that I actually felt hungover. It's interesting. And I knew I hadn't drank the night before, right? But it was that same feeling. And it was weird the way that made me feel. Mm. Like I, I almost had some like guilt associated with it or like some flashbacks of some hungover moments and it's been quite some time since i've been hungover right but it felt as real as it was yesterday like it that's exactly what it felt like it's crazy yeah it's weird still brings you back even after all those years i know and then i um went to work and then around 3 30 i realized it wasn't just a migraine and i was actually headed towards my deathbed so we were not able to record sunday night like we normally do because i was sick as a dog you're blowing up my toilet Oh my god! In a very unladylike up fashion. In the middle of the night, I had body aches. I had chills. Awful. I'm feeling a little bit better today, but I'm traumatized from the whole event. Megan's new nickname is Mount Vesuvius. I was so sick. I I'm literally traumatized. I think I've had like four bites of toast today and three teaspoons of soup. And shit out everything that your system had been holding on to for the past two decades. Oh, both ends. It was a both ends kind of. Literally explosive diarrhea. It's horrible. Yeah, tell me about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm I'll still, never look at you the oh, same again. I'm still traumatized. And then poor Matt came home from school today with the same thing. Yeah, I got the call today at like 1 o'clock. And my mom has it. And then I started feeling really bad because I knew how awful I felt. Matt took like two naps. He hasn't taken a nap since he was six years old. 
So <laughs> I knew how bad he felt. And my mom never made it out of bed today. And she's like a trooper. That's not her to stay in bed all day. And so now I'm thinking like last week on our way home from the Berkshires, Frankie projectile vomited in the car and I like blew it off his car sickness. And then she like blew out her diaper a couple days in a row and wasn't really eating. But like no one even gave her a Tylenol. Nah, Frankie's a trooper too. She was a trooper. I mean, she was, you know, her normal self. And she's alive. She was tired. She took that afternoon nap with you the one day. She did, and she actually never, well, I don't think she's taken an afternoon nap in probably six or eight months now. No, she's just on the one nap a day. And Frankie also, she'll snuggle with you sometimes, but she'll she'll also, like, give you the stiff arm. Yeah, she's she's kind of like me in that aspect. A hundred percent. She'll snuggle with you for a minute, and then she's like, see ya. I need my own space. Yeah. Don't crowd me, bro. <laughs> Get off my <laughs> shit, dog. So anyway, this podcast is going to be fast and furious, just like the stomach bug, because I'm still in recovery mode. Just like Meg's projectile asshole. I'm just saying, I don't wish that on anyone. It was terrible. I know. I'm well aware of this. Chris, even in the middle of the night last night, like a couple times, I was like, are you okay? Uh, get the fuck out of here. Let's not get too carried away with your bullshit. And that's not normally him, but I think he was even concerned. He's like, is the life insurance paid up? I'm pretty sure this is how it ends. Exactly. It wasn't me like giving my beloved wife sympathy. It was a fact-finding mission. <laughs> I was writhing in bed. It was, it was very clear motives on my end. At one point, I was like, get me your wool hunting socks. I know. And then I had to take it all off at some point because then I was sweating. Oh, it was all it was a mess. I think that's what I was most upset about, because inevitably one of those socks will now go missing for the next 12 years. So I actually tucked them both under my pillow so I could have them again tonight. And the bird didn't eat them during the day, which is fucking disgusting. Who puts dirty socks under their pillow? I only wore them for a couple hours in the middle of the night. It's not like I trenched the fields with them. This is why your car is a dumpster. <laughs> I don't think that's why. How many pairs of socks are in your car right now? Probably not socks, but I'm sure they're shoes. We should totally do a show from your car someday, and we will just <laughs> inventory the trash in there. Wrappers, 37. <laughs> Used masks, 82. Coffee cups, Two dozen. <laughs> I don't, I use a Yeti now, but when I used to use bottles of water, that was like a whole nother. It was like, I think actually that's probably why they outlawed plastic straws because I had consumed all the earth's plastic. Yep. People like you just don't give a shit about anybody else. Just take and take and take. Oh, goodness. All right. So let's do a little uh, PSA Ooh, before okay. we move on. I'm ready. So last episode. We just mentioned it very briefly, uh, but we have created the So I Married an Alcoholic spin team at the Team Foster Rough Ride event this year. So this year it's going to be held June 4th and 5th in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field or Lincoln Financial Stadium or wherever those stupid fucking eagles play. So it's a 24-hour event. The idea is to keep the bike spinning for 24 hours, which is my way of reaching out to our dedicated audience and saying that I can handle quite literally no more than 12 seconds on that bike. I was even giving you less than that. And we need your help. I've been actually on the Peloton every day until the life-threatening illness. I still think I'm probably only going to be able to do like two of the 24 hours and in 15-minute increments. So I don't know if you've been listening, Megan, but this is Team Foster Rough Ride, not Megan Rough Ride. 
So if you don't mind, folks, I'm going to take control of the microphone yet again. <laughs> so Team Foster is doing their annual Rough Ride Philly this year. It's June 4th and 5th in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field. Megan, feel free to just pipe down for one minute if you <laughs> don't mind. We need your help. We need your help with donations. We need your help with spinning the spinning machine. 24 hours look at Megan's like <laughs> chomping at the bit to get back on the goddamn microphone so please I think the easiest way as of right now to sign up for the event is to go to the so I married an alcoholic Facebook page Megan and I have both separately posted links on our own individual pages but just scroll down find the link if you want to donate you are more than welcome to do so I've set some pretty lofty goals for first time spinners <laughs> and uh, of course if you want to join us during the event we're happy to have you we're actually going to do a live broadcast from the event which I'm super excited about but we'll give you more details about that coming up soon and again just please at the very least donate five bucks ten bucks two thousand whatever you can afford and again, we really need uh, your spinning legs. We need legs, Chris. Right now, it's just me, you, and Auntie Gay P. You need legs. I have the shortest legs ever. You're four foot nine <laughs> and have three inches of legs. It's awful. <laughs> it really is. And yes, so far, the team is a little bit light in the loafers, just <laughs> like Auntie Gay P is. But right now, it's just Megan, myself, and Auntie Gay P. So we need your help, people. We're Please. bleeding. Please, please, please. We may have to put some Peloton shoes on the bird. <laughs> she could go far. <laughs> She'd fucking crush that event. Oh, my God. Start training her now. Maybe we'll see if they can bring in a treadmill just for the bird. She could totally go the whole 24 hours. Again, don't forget, send any and all feedback to so I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, concerns? Megan and I have been doing quite a bit of homework the past, I don't know, two weeks, trying to find some various guests for the show, just so you, you know, don't have to listen to us bitch at each other and talk about how much of an insane bitch Megan is on a week-in, week-out basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, per usual, follow, like, listen, share, Facebook, and the gram. Or is it the Insta? We actually... Oh, yeah. We got corrected for that. Got into a heated debate with Auntie Gay P that we are... I believe I was calling it the Gram because that's what I thought the cool kids were doing these days. But apparently it's just Insta. Yeah, we blow it. It's not the Insta. <laughs> it's not the Gram. It's just Insta. Like, we got scolded. We have a lot to learn. It was bad. I know. It speaks to our age. But anyways, those two social medias are... So I married an alcoholic, and the Twitter, of course, is married to AA. Now, let's pay the bills. The studio sponsor is Marlene Graphics. MarleneGraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And the lifestyle sponsor is RealtorAndABaby.com. RealtorAndABaby.com for all of your real estate needs. What you want to talk about besides yourself? Ouch. I was just saying. I don't know. What do you want to talk about? You know what's an interesting topic to talk about, I think? What, honey? Enlighten me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Being or having friends, you know, your drinking buddies, the people you used to visit the trap house with, etc. 
and how that, I guess, differs between the people that you meet in sobriety and the people that you hang out with in sobriety. Like, there's obviously some vast differences there. I think there's also some very different motives behind those a couple different populations of friends. But it's also, and again, I speak for myself, uh, I think Megan and I are both very personal, pe personable people, but I think that also once you remove the booze, the drugs, the whatever, the social lubrication, if you will, it can become challenging to meet friends in sobriety in adulthood and even more so, I think it's just hard sometimes the older we get meeting people that I, I'm not saying like all of our viewpoints have to align and, you know, we're the same politically and religiously and blah, blah, blah. However you categorize yourself, whatever box you put yourself into. But like growing up in school, I think is very different meeting friends than in adulthood. And then throw sobriety on top of that, and it makes it just all the more challenging. Definitely. Well, I think we live in a drinking society. Oh, without a question. Um, I think that's social. That's how people make friends. Um, and, you know, our drinking was to the extreme, so, or drug use, whichever. So I think it's interesting to talk about kind of like waves of friendships I guess during that time like would you be interested in sharing that at all I'm interested in sharing whatever you would like darling because you pay the bills and you know I'm just here to share <laughs> you're just eye candy that's right <laughs> hashtag trophy husband <laughs> yes so I would say during the peak of my drinking I surrounded myself, and probably for a long time, like even before the peak of my drinking, even in college, I always surrounded myself with people that drank like me, mm. more than me, mm. um, on purpose, kind of so I can blend in. I agree with that. Um, and then also, you know, I have my two best friends from when I was a nurse, um, but I also, when I was married the first time, had a very close group of friends and girlfriends. And they were my friends because they were my ex-husband's friends' spouses. Okay. Um, he was not super social, and I was. No, as a matter of fact, like complete tool bag, very awkward, cross-eyed. Anyway, um, so I kind of strayed away from my own friends to take on his friends because it was easier. I'm like a likable social person like I could make friends with anyone and then I became really close with these people and I'll be honest when I went to rehab and my marriage officially ended they left me cold um yeah so I mean obviously I was not there mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty common theme that people choose sides Definitely. It, and it doesn't even have to be in marriage. Like, it can just be, you know, people dating. I think sometimes that even happens professionally. Like, if people change careers, there's that common thread, if you will, no longer exists. I think if we're being super honest, it wasn't just, you know, you guys got divorced or whatever. I mean, there was obviously a lot of different moving parts in there. Yeah, it was messy at the end. Yeah. 
And I mean that it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Again, work to my benefit, like most things in this life, because, you know, I have you now and I get to torture you on a daily basis. <laughs> and I don't blame them for taking sides. Um, in fact, I take ownership ship of it. I did try to reach out a couple times in like when I immediately got discharged. Um, but I could tell there was an interest there. So I kind of dropped it, which is something that I am notorious for doing. Let me ask you this. Did you try to reach out to those people because you wanted to remain friends with them? I did. Did you reach out to them for selfish motives because you almost in a some sort of way had to be like, hey, like there's two sides to every story. I want you to have my side. Was it like a damage control thing or was it just a genuine you so, know, like, let's be friends type deal. I actually did that with the one before I went. And then when I went, the other side was told because I was missing for 30 days. And there's two sides to every story. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. So that was it. They kind of cut me off. And so when I reached out, I reached out like a happy birthday message or, you know, things of that nature. It wasn't it wasn't deep. I didn't pursue it. Um, that's definitely on me. Um, I never attempted to make amends. Um, and there's probably one or two that I definitely owe them to. Mm -hmm. And I do think about that um, sometimes. And I'm sure it's a cop out because there's part of me that's like, well, they don't want to hear from me. So I'm not going to bother them. You know, so I totally get that because, you know, as a person like you, you sort of feel guilty. But also as an alcoholic, there's. We've talked about this before, uh, fears, doubts, and insecurities. Like those yes. three things rule our lives. I don't care if you're a day sober, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, but fear, doubts, and insecurities rule everything. So like, I totally get that. Yeah, and that's probably in all those. But when I look back in friendships that I've had, um, you know, I still have a couple friends from high school, couple from college, but I'm not always great at maintaining friendships. And I think that's on me. Like I've worked at different places where I've made really good groups of friends. And then, you know, you move on to the next job. You stay or say you're going to stay in touch. And I don't necessarily. Um, and I think that's I wouldn't say I'm not a good friend, because if you call me and I consider you a good friend, I'm there in a heartbeat. But I'm not always good at maintaining relationships. That is not something that I always do a good job at making a priority. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's honestly the natural progression of life, if you will. If you want to go back a, a number of years ago, like you signed the high school yearbook. Everybody goes sure. to a different college. We're going to stay in touch. We're going to be best friends forever. And then by the time, you know, you're getting dropped off at your dorm, you don't remember any of those people. Yeah. Same thing when you graduate college, although I think college is a little bit of a different experience, a little more intimate if you will so you do remain friends with some of those people that core group of girls guys whatever it is yeah you do but then you normally disperse throughout the country right right so that you know that makes it more challenging too and then you you, you get to different places in your life like your friends then end up becoming your kids friends parents you know and 
people that you work with because they're who you spend time with. So it's almost like they start as friendships of convenience. It doesn't mean that they can't become good friendships. No, absolutely. But then there's also, again, the natural evolution of things. So you buy your first house, you have a couple of kids. Your neighbors also just bought their first house. They have kids. So now you're friends with, you know, Tommy and Gina down the street and your kids all hang out. So how do you work your nine to five like you I guess what I'm trying to say is you have responsibilities that end up taking place of you know the social gathering sometimes definitely and I think um you know Chris and I have joked about this but we are not great as a couple at making friends Mm, I actually don't like the way that you worded that okay please rectify it Cockmaster checking in. Yes. Your lordship. His lordship. Oh, I'm sorry. His lordship. Please say it correctly. Apologize to the queen as well. <laughs> I'm not. We're, I'll fucking stop this right now. Apologize to the queen. I apologize, your highness. Her highness? I'm actually not sure, so I'll let that one slide. That's fair. Anywho. It's not that I don't think that we're good at making friends, because I think that that kind of comes off like we're assholes. Oh, so I, yeah, and that's I don't not what I meant. Think we're assholes? No, because we go to social events. I mean, I'm an asshole. You are, but that's what why people like you. But we go to social events. And and, like we can work the shit out of a room. Apps. That's what I was gonna say. We are exceptional in social events. Yeah. But then we leave. We have a great time, and we don't follow through. That's because I can't fucking stand people. <laughs> okay. Like I'm okay. So it's you, not me. No, it's totally me. Like I'll own that. Most people suck. So I think it's interesting when Chris and I met. I think when you meet a normie, and two normies meet, they talk about all their friends that they have. Their friends from high school. Their friends from college. They're this. They're that. Chris very had very little to mention. And then mm-hmm. when the when we went up to like Worcester for the first time, I was like, do you want to meet up with any of your friends while we're here? And he's like, no, I'm good. So it's something that we don't talk about often. Um, but I don't think you have many friends left from that moment in time period in your life. And no, I, we, I've mentioned this, you know, at various points, probably more so in the beginning of the show, but... There are, uh, my graduating class was like 230, something like that. I can rattle off at least two dozen names right now of people that have left the earth too soon as a direct result of this disease. Which is so crazy, you know? yeah. And then there's probably another 10, 20, 30 people that I wouldn't talk to because of my actions in a previous life. And that's my own guilt, my own shame, my own remorse. But I was not a nice person. And I mean, you've talked about going up there um, and getting anxious. And I think it's seeing family being in those places. But is it also the running into the random person from high school in the grocery store or people that you worked for back then? Or I think it's a lot of the above. Yeah. You know, there's some anxiety running into people that I used to use with, uh, people that I may or may not have done illegal things with somebody's sister that I banged at some point along the road. I Um, think too, if you're talking about people that you're using with, just like people I was drinking with 
and I wasn't talking about any of those people previously, but, you know, towards the end there was people, whatever, I was drinking with, just drinking with, things like that. I think that's a friendship, like we talked about friendships of convenience. That's a, both parties are using each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I think that goes sort of along with the codependence thing. Sure. But here's the big uh, misnomer about people being codependent. Humans depend on one another for the survival of the fucking species. Quite literally. That's interesting. I've never, huh, I never really thought about it like that. I always looked at codependency as such a negative thing. I mean, it is. Yeah. Okay. I, it certainly <laughs> is, right? Well, but You like, just shined a lovely light on it. You and I wouldn't be here if our parents weren't codependent. Sure. The queen wouldn't be here if I wasn't such a lunatic and had to have her. I think there's a difference between codependence and partnership. Well, yes, of course there is. Yes. You know, one relationship's healthy, one's not. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it just speaks to the point of, like you were saying, people use each other. Sure. I think in a partnership or like a marriage, a relationship, a healthy friendship, it's a give and take. And probably in a quote unquote friendship of someone that you're using with, it's a take and take. Both sides are really taking without much giving. Yeah, I agree with that. So then when you get sober, do all those friendships go away? I mean, were they ever really friendships to begin with? No, I don't think they were ever friendships to begin with. Again, I think it's a matter of convenience. And I'll be super honest with you. Like, I am, we are friends with people that drink, both in our family and outside of our quote-unquote immediate family. But I don't necessarily have a lot of interest in, like, meeting up with the boys on a Friday night and going to the bar. Right. Yeah, me neither. You know, and again, we're totally fine being at events with people drinking. Yeah, but it's hard. Like, what do we do to to just go get drinks with someone at the bar? Like, it's kind of a little boring for us. It certainly is. And again, I will not avoid the bar because I'm an alcoholic. But I honestly and this is this goes back to the selfish motive things. Like, if I am going to meet you out for drinks, you know, on a night or something like that, like, we better be talking about a fucking referral or something like that, because, like, I'm not going to meet you at the bar and watch the game. First of all, I have absolutely zero interest. In any sporting events. In any test of manhood <laughs> or testicular fortitude or anything like that. So, yeah, when it comes to that, like, if we're going to the bar, it better be a business meeting. Sure. You know, and that's a totally selfish motive because you don't have to be a dick 24-7. Yeah, no, I agree. I get that. And you actually, the summer that you golfed and I uh, raised an infant. Oh, Jesus Christ. Here we go. You hung out with guys all the time because you golf with different guys like every day of the week. That's because I had zero interest in being a father. (laughs) Also a friendship of convenience. Selfish motives. (laughs) (laughs) but anyway so i think there's some positives to it number one chris and i both do have our core friends i have my two friends that i was nurses with i have my one best friend from high school i have a good friend from college um chris has anti-gay p and sometimes he lets me share them and then He's got other guys that he got sober with. But the one thing that sounds super corny but is actually nice, and maybe it's just a cop-out to make us feel not bad that we don't have couple friends. I'm sure it is. 
Chris, I actually like spending time together. And you have said that on multiple occasions. No, we do. I, I actually, I think, do a fantastic job of tolerating you. And, I mean, you have said that on multiple occasions. You're like, I'm like, oh, we should meet people and go out. And Chris like, I'd kind of rather just hang out with you. Yeah, because I don't want to listen to people talk about, like, you know, this is my Rolex and I just got a new car. Like, listen, asshole, I have an inch and a half penis. I don't need a $30,000 watch to tell you that. I just saved myself 30 grand. Here's my dick. And my bird dog. And my bird dog. It's true. Now, we do go out with, like, my brother and sister, like, my parents. I mean, they have to be our friends, though, I guess. They're give me. No, they have to be your friend. They just tolerate you. I think, again, they tolerate me because Frankie has a killer mullet. She does. Oh, it's getting so bad, but I won't cut it. Stay on task, darling. Okay, sorry. And I, you know, again, I think that it, something else that we've talked about on the show before that definitely bleeds into real life is that whole, like, keeping up with the Joneses Facebook mentality, which goes back to my point about, you know, look at my Rolex and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think there is such a tremendous amount of pressure, and this is not a cop-out. This is like... Not why I'm not seeking out massive amounts of friendships. I'm just saying this is how I perceive it. There is a ton of social pressure to be a braggart or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And I just, there was a time in my life where I would have been very interested in engaging in that conversation. Oh, me too. But my priorities have changed tremendously. So I'm on all these different like AA groups and stuff on Facebook and social media. And one of the things that I always kind of like chuckle a little bit at, it's like people posting the filtered selfies, three days sober. And I'm like, you sure are. When I go back (laughs) in my phone and I look at my drinking, my early sobriety, I took many selfies you look at it now i have a selfie or two of me and the kids like laying on the couch there's nothing filtered there's nothing me standing sexy in front of a mirror like i just don't live that life anymore because i don't need to do that and here's the thing right like there a hundred thousand people died last year from alcoholism and addiction if you have three minutes three hours three days sober That is beyond an amazing accomplishment, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't minimizing that. No, neither am I. I'm just, again, you know, one alcoholic with an incredibly expensive microphone. Um, Nobody gives a fuck. No. and Like, we're proud of you, but nobody cares what you look like in that tank top. As a matter of fact, I think that speaks more to the amount of work that needs to be done between your ears. Absolutely. That's versus, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Needing that positive reinforcement constantly from others, from strangers. I mean, I was that girl. You know what I mean? Chris mm. and I met on the Bumble. You don't think I was on there to see how many people were swiping right? You know, like. One, Megan. One you? person swiped right. <laughs> Get over yourself. Oh, you only need the right one, honey. <laughs> but anyway, so I think, you know, that's something too. Like when you talk about not needing that, maybe some of those insecurities have faded over time with a lot of work. Yes, absolutely. Because again, fears, doubts, insecurities, like those rule our lives, right? 
But I think, again, you get to, or maybe sometimes you don't get to a certain point where you're not able to control those, if you will, but you identify them sort of, I mean, the goal is before they creep up their ugly head. But again, if you listen to more than 12 minutes of this podcast, you know that's not always the case, right? Yeah. But I think, again, the further you get along in sobriety, the further things do or at least should start to change. Yeah. And I don't see I, I don't say those things like I was saying about the selfie to mock anyone. I really don't. I say it because I saw myself as that. Yes, absolutely. And, you know? and don't get it, you know, don't get it twisted like that's not I wasn't belittling you for saying that or, you know, pointing out that you were being judgmental. That's that's not what I'm saying. I mean, I'm like I've seen it. I've done it. Yeah, exactly. Was that. And I look at those people and I think, oh, girl, you work a program, you put in some more time. And the changes are going to be so much more than an Instagram filter. Yeah, nobody's going to care about your eyelashes or yeah, and you, know, you whatever. won't care anymore. They're going to care about like if you show up for work every day, or you know, you do the right thing by your family or your wife or your husband or whatever it is that you're dating. So maybe it's not so bad that we don't need to collect acquaintances. No, I'm actually you know more focused on quality friendships like I could call Auntie Gay P right now or at least a dozen of those guys that I originally got sober with you know and could pour my heart out to them or could say like I'm I'm fucked up like I need to come see you right now or can you please come over and like cuddle with me for an hour and they'd be like yeah dude I'll be there in 10 minutes so I think that's interesting because now it's really about connection in our life and for so long when you're drinking and using you are incapable of making genuine connections. I agree. So you may have had quote unquote friends. I mean, I say this all the time. People can love someone, care for someone as much as they're capable of. And when you're in active addiction, that capability, even you know, though you may not recognize it at the time, is so stunted because there's one thing that you're connected with and that's your drug of choice. Absolutely. It controls literally every aspect of your life and like you said before like you were still a quote-unquote good mother because you used to get up every day and make pancakes yeah and I've said before too like I loved my son and the gift sobriety has given me is how much I have the capability I have of loving my son now because Mm -hmm. it is tenfold and I always loved him don't get me wrong I was a good mom and I I adored my son sure but there was always something ahead of them That's right. And that's gone now. I'm sure, you know, there were very different priorities back in the drinking days. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, it's not that it's okay, um, because again, you know, anybody that's a parent out there knows that you get this very finite time to spend with your children, to mold your children, to teach your children. You know, once you remove that substance, that drug of choice, whatever it may be, you start to refocus on the person, the parent that you were meant to be. Absolutely. Or, you know, being, living up to the the most potential, if you will. And I also think, you know, in one way, how I always try to find ways that we're lucky that we're alcoholics or addicts is the fact that I know that. Like, I know that there's an infinite amount that you can love your kids and I'm capable of doing that now again not by any plan of my own or anything like that 
Um, I think that there was a reason that I did not have a Frankie until, well, I mean, I still wasn't ready to have Frankie when Frankie arrived. No, I think actually yesterday we were talking about something. You're like, it took me a whole year to recognize her. Yeah. To accept her. That's what you said. But I, um, there was no way, you know, five years ago, three years ago, and again, I'd been sober for a year three years ago, uh, that I would be able to be anywhere near the parent that I am today. And trust me, I'm not getting a medal or a trophy or anything like that. Uh, the the Department of Social Services or whatever we call it in the state of Pennsylvania would have definitely taken that child away. Yeah. And that's shitty. But I'm also not afraid to admit that because it just speaks volumes, I think, to the, the kind of train wreck that I was. I also think I've said this to you before, probably even on here. I always give you credit that you were a train wreck. You knew it. You oh, may yeah. have used people. You may have hurt people. But you never committed to another person or brought a child into this world during that. And I actually think that's commendable. Yeah. In I a mean, sense. Again, I was I was smart enough to know my limitations. Like you recognize that. And that's huge, especially someone for inactive addiction. Because we all, we all want someone to love us. Yeah. And, you know, I had thousands of women that loved me. I'm sure, honey. Just, you know not enough to procreate or actually I was probably like my sperm or junk <laughs> <laughs> let's call it what it is <laughs> my sperm came out all fucked up you only need one <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could have managed one she's upstairs sleeping in the crib <laughs> it's funny when I had this stomach bug I still went to work yesterday because we're you know swimming in the shit there and um speaking of people are like do you think you could be pregnant and I was like no I am more dedicated to my birth control than I am to my marriage, to my children, to my sobriety. I know they say make sobriety first, family second. Mine is my birth control. Top priority. And I appreciate that. And it's also literally uh, scientifically impossible to have a baby out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. Anything else, darling? No, I think we should wrap it up. All right. Say good night, honey. Good night. I'm Megan and I'm an alcoholic. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Cut off your pet's privates. And remember, if you're struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out, ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.